Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome to the first of a new era in the Anglo-Italian pod as we have a big interview. And from now on, listeners, our interviews are going to be released as individual episodes. So make sure to keep an eye out on our social medias. You know, the Twitters, the Instagrams, your TikToks. Make sure to keep an eye out because we will be releasing a string of interviews and just They'll be popping up, so keep an eye out. As always, my name is Rory, and I'm joined by my very good friend, Adam. So, Rory, let's talk about this particular episode. It was kind of a really fun one to do as well. But, yeah, let's start off by, it's the Marshall Islands. So, Marshall Islands, was that named after Ian Marshall? I believe so, from my from my research oh, that I conducted. That's what came up on Wikipedia. That's what came up on Wikipedia. So... That is the truth. Yeah, as you have said, we are going to be talking to or about the Marshall Islands. And we have an interview with Lloyd Owers, who is Mm. the head of development at the Marshall Islands FA, as they try, as they have their campaign to become a member of FIFA. They are the last, I'm going to say, independent recognized nation that are not a member of FIFA. So this is their campaign to get recognized so that nice. they can start taking part in the Oceania Games, mm. start taking part in FIFA competitions, in uh, OFC competitions, and get football onto that island. As you'll hear in the interview, it's a, I think it's a fascinating interview. Lloyd is an absolute legend. We've been chatting ever since mm. on Twitter. The guy's a hero. Um, really, really interesting interview, and I love yeah. this guy's story and the job he's trying to do. Like Adam, we try and do a bit for like you know the underdogs, the smaller yeah. teams. Like, I feel like this is a this is a big one. I'm happy about this. This is quite a massive one. And just from my kind of listening of this particular episode, it was quite unique. Learning about Lloyd's kind of journey, that was quite mesmerizing in terms of where that took him. But more importantly, how he came across this kind of opportunity and then blossomed with it. And I'm not going to spoil it for those nope. watching and listening because 
that would kill it. But all I can say is make sure you watch it or listen to it till the very end because it was fascinating. And kudos to you, mate. It was a very good interview. So make why, sure you watch and you. listen. Um, why thank you. But before we continue to blow smoke up each other's asses, we are going to <laughs> let the listeners and viewers watch the interview. Guys, enjoy. And welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory, and this week we are very excited to welcome on a technical director of a national federation. This is, we're going up in the world, guys, and this country with a population of around 60,000 people based around more islands than you can count. We are, of course, talking about the Marshall Islands out in the Pacific Ocean, and to join us, we have Lloyd Owers. Lloyd, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fantastic. Thank you for having us on. No, we are like honestly, my my co-host wanted to be here, but since we've had this one lined up, we've all been pretty excited about it. So, to give a quick <laughs> introduction, um, long-time listeners will know that we have interacted with Paul Watson in the past, and we've been kind of keeping an eye out on the smaller nations in the world that are trying to get involved in FIFA. And when this came up on my Twitter timeline, I thought this has to be something we got involved in. And this is, of course, the Marshall Islands campaign to become part of FIFA. Now, they were proud. I'm going to say proud to say the only independent nation without uh, with without being a member of FIFA. But this is now changing or due to change. And Lloyd, you are a big part of this. Tell us kind of briefly before we go into your career, what the idea is and what the job is and how it's going. Yeah, so it is very random, it's very unique, and when you say about pride of being the last nation on earth, there is a sense of pride because it's a it's a selling point, it's a unique mm -hmm. fact, but at the same time it comes with a, why are we the last nation on earth? So it, there's a bit of a, a both sides to the story. Um, in terms of myself, yeah, I've come in as the technical director, I was... Um, fortunate enough to to get into place just before christmas and mm -hmm. start some of the process then um i have since been joined by a couple of guys that unfortunately are named unnamed at the moment they will okay. announce themselves at some point uh shortly and they are looking after a lot of the media so social media and uh, fundraising sponsorship those aspects um but collectively yeah it's a case of really driving the program and starting from the ground up so you know mm -hmm. we don't have any form of structure for the game uh, across the country so it is really really starting from the bottom up and with very very little equipment little kit so yeah it's uh, it's definitely a case of raising awareness to, to the program itself or the project itself well hopefully we can help you in that um, and we will definitely be keeping an eye out on this process as it goes along the, the, the coming years I imagine uh, but before we get into how the opportunity came and what you're having to do. Let's talk about your career within football. So you're a qualified coach, um, played semi-professional yourself. How did you get into football? Was it always a passion like family? How did you how did you get yeah. into it? Yeah, my dad was a massive football fan. Um, I think family influences. Everyone is just very football-based and mm -hmm. watching, playing, whatever it was. Um, so as soon as I was old enough to kick a ball, I was sort of, you know, kicking a ball and 
five years old, I was always there and thereabouts watching Chelsea, which is at the current present current times not the best, but um, uh, you know we've had some good success. But I remember being a kid, and it wasn't then. It's very similar to now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of feels like back in the old yeah. days for you, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and it just developed from there. So obviously, I kept involved in football all the way through. I was um, at Colchester United in some capacity as a player up until about 15, 16, and then um, moved into semi-professional football. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I left school and realised that college wasn't really for me at that point. And that was in the sta- you know, stage where you didn't have to stay on until 18. You could leave at 16. Mm-hmm. So I, I did. And I went into coaching and uh, worked as a community coach for Colchester United and um yeah then the next thing is i at 23 ish something like that i went to work for the fa uh it's more as a coach education capacity mm-hmm. um and then i was fortunate enough to connect with people that took me out to canada so i uh, had the opportunity to de- deliver coach education workshops on a consultancy basis out there um team-based coaching that took me to the USA for a little spell doing the same sort of stuff in terms of coach education and team-based coaching Um, came back and yeah I I worked for uh, I realized I wasn't going to go back to Essex I I wanted to go somewhere else and uh, with my role for the FA I was based in Oxfordshire so I I went back to Oxfordshire and worked for Oxford United um, and then had random little spells within Sweden as well so wow um, yeah coach consultancy work again and also but working as an opposition analyst for a club in Sweden um and then there's quite yeah, a big connection between great. like between Scandinavia and like there's quite a lot of English coaches English players that go out to Scandinavia yeah, and kind of yeah, play yeah. in Sweden Iceland Norway like how was that experience I feel like is quite a common pathway right yeah it was I mean for, for me I wasn't there in terms of permanently or regular uh, mm-hmm. I was regularly but not permanently if that makes sense so I would go over and do coach consultancy work but I would also do um a lot of the, the opposition scouting for example was was uh, video analysis so in terms of now it's massive where, where COVID's hit and a lot of mm-hmm. analysts working remotely and stuff like that and it, this was before then uh, and it was for an English coach called Stuart Gibson who um who's been in Sweden for 30 odd years now and played there coached there lived there ever since and and yeah, he still works in the game. So I, st- I still speak to Stuart. He's, he's a great guy in terms of giving me that experience. Um, but that led me back to to experiences here. So I worked as a first team uh, scout for Mansfield. Um, and then more recently, I've gone back into like the coaching managing side where uh, I was at Oxford City more recently. And um, uh, yeah, and, and now obviously with the, with the Marshall Islands. <laughs> it's quite the CV, I'll be honest. Um, but you also said you spent a bit of time in Canada, and I just want to quickly yeah. visit that as well, because Canada now is like a huge emerging market for like soccer or football. Yeah, you saw yeah. them qualify for the World Cup for the first time since the 70s, I want to say. Yeah, 50s. it was, yeah. Like, it feels... Years, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it feels like now... Like, could you see it when you were there that there was a, there's a big base of kind of footballing talent there or athletic talent that was there to be mined because I feel like they could almost overtake the US at some point in terms of talent I mean for me Canada's had a massive influence on myself personally and professionally so um, the first time I went over was 2012 and Mm -hmm. that was when we uh, the London London were hosting the Olympics so I was over there when Canada knocked out Team GB. Um, nice. <laughs> so it was a random one because I was, you know, working, delivering coach education workshops to Canadians. 
and then also you, you've got kids there that are watching or being parts of sessions that I do after. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, you know, just, I'm getting stick from kids because Canada have beat us. And this was in the stage where, like, this is, you know, female gaming. And, and even now, female gaming in Canada is massive. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously massively growing here as well, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the game collectively now, it's it's absolutely booming. And I think there were signs then that it was going in the right way. You know, there were there's so much infrastructure for the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everywhere is every province is uh, really well governed and every province is really well populated in terms of soccer. So mm-hmm. it's, I'm not, I'm not surprised that it's boomed the way it has. And especially with like, you know, John Herbin is, it, it's fantastic that he's an English connection to it. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised it's, it's, it's taken off the way it has. And I, I honestly think it's going to continue to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and on, on a personal level, it's somewhere that I'd love to go back to. And, that, you know, my wife and I have plans to go there at some point in terms nice. of that's where we, we want to be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, but personally and professionally, it's a, it's had a massive impact on me. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got family in Canada. I've been lucky enough to visit and it really is an right. incredible country. And I'm, yeah, I'm really, yeah. I'm really happy to see them like, so I think North America, you know, that with America and Canada, the second they put money into a sport, they're going to be good at it. Like yeah, they, yeah. You, you look at their college programs with NFL, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, they do it well. So the second they have interest and they think they can do well at it, you know, they're just going <laughs> to pile money into it. So I think we're definitely going to see them continue to grow. But oh, Definitely. The World Cup's going to be massive 2026. You know, yes. it's going to be really, really key because obviously both countries are hosting it alongside Mexico mm-hmm. and it's going to be massive for that whole North American region. Yeah, and it'll be weird to see Mexico potentially be the worst team out of those three as well. It's going to be quite strange. It's going to be quite strange. Could well happen. Um, But then from there, so moving on from there, you kind of set up a website to kind of showcase your like your coaching ideas and what like what you were trying to do. Do you think this is the new way for people to kind of get into the industry? I see a lot of people kind of showcasing their scouting work or their analytics work on Twitter online. Do you think is this? where the industry is going now is this where recruiters um, are looking i mean for me i've always been quite keen on it's more so twitter to be honest for myself mm-hmm. and it always has been and that is actually where the first chance for me to go to canada came from it was just me okay putting out a tweet that was um i was working as a community coach at the time i put out a tweet and it was a case of i've got the summer off any opportunities to go anywhere wow. it's a coach and <laughs> a guy came back and we ended up connecting and um he was over in the uk really really locally to me randomly about two months later so we met up for a for a bit of food and yeah it just spiraled on and we've like really still good mates now both part big part of each other's weddings and all nice. sorts of like yeah nice. and then, so they're linking that to that like now for example um i've always put session plans on on my twitter account mm-hmm. and I've tagged people into it and whatever whatever from there but I realized that um, I was I was studying a master's degree in coaching and it came to an end last year. But when I was getting towards the back end of it, I realized once I stopped doing it, I was going to miss writing. I was going to miss mm-hmm. being in that process of the game, not just coaching, not just, you know, analyzing game, whatever it was. I realized that I quite enjoyed writing about it and talking about it as well. And I and I realized I was going to miss that quite a lot. So um once it did finish i needed to fill that void with something and that was a case of yeah and that was just a case of well i'll start a blog site and see what happens so you know it had weekly um session plans articles that i'd write and uh q a's with people around the world 
and yeah that, that spiraled a lot quicker than i thought it would people were looking at it and it was it was good so um and and that's really where this this process started and like, mm -hmm. you know, like i said is that where people are looking I, I genuinely think so i think social media is massive now uh and, it, and i think if people use it in the right way then they can really showcase what their aims are and for me it was just a case of yeah it was just a case of wanting to continue talking about football in a different way and, and writing but i also wanted to help people in some way so if, mm -hmm. if i put up a session plan on a, on a wednesday for example if if it got 100 views and it helped one person then i've helped one person you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it's, it yeah, was that yeah, aspect yeah. i wanted to help someone so mm -hmm. um yeah that's where it came from but i genuinely do believe that that if you do it right and i think people will start to to benefit themselves in their own careers from that mm, nice yeah it does feel that way i see a lot of people on twitter with like their scouting reports and stuff and it does feel like there's yeah. now a kind of a whole new market out there a whole new way of accessing that market <laughs> but yeah. as you kind of alluded to this is how the opportunity came and i believe it was samoa that kind of approached yeah. you or started talking to you now this is a country that They've had a documentary made about themselves. Uh, Next goal wins, right? It was American Samoa. Oh, so, and... Yeah, so that was American Samoa, and that mm. was a really, really great documentary. And um, to be honest, I've actually been trying to look into it to see the similarities mm. and how we can contact people that are involved in it because there's it so many similarities to what we're doing. Um, but this other one was actually from the other Samoa. Okay. Um, and it was me chasing them. So I, <laughs> so I um, yeah, so like I said, I, I do weekly q a's with people from around the world it could be coaches mm -hmm. analysts recruitment staff whatever it might be um so i got in touch with the samoan technical director at the time who unfortunately was very was very helpful but unfortunately just a bit busy to be able to do okay. the q a in that time frame so he passed my details on to a guy called russ uh, sorry first it was alistair mccray who is the head of recruitment for uh, the samoan national team and the federation so he then said that I'm going to be joined by myself uh, and obviously joined by um, a guy called Russ Gurr, who mm -hmm. is his, his assistant and he's a British guy. Um, so we did a Q&A, put it onto the, web, uh, onto the blog site and it was massive. People really, really took off and it's still now the highest viewed Q&A that I've done on that, right. on that blog site. They spoke really well about themselves. They spoke really well about um, the program and, and what Samoa were doing. But that then because it was so popular for that post it just opened up a different network like starting to realize people from the pacific were looking at the article mm -hmm. and new zealand australia that whole side of the world um and in and that connect that then connected me to different people in the region and one of those guys was a guy called shem levi who is the president of the marshall Islands soccer federation mm -hmm. um so yeah a few chance uh, emails, WhatsApps, voice notes, back and forth. And then it just uh, spiraled from that point, really. It's always the way, right? You meet someone who knows someone who knows someone, <laughs> and then all of a sudden yeah. you're in a room you didn't expect Definitely. to be in, right? Um, so how did he approach you? And what was the kind of proposal that he made? What what was the like the sales pitch that he made to you for this, for this project? Because it sounds incredibly exciting and like yeah. this ability to build something but how did they sell it to you did they have to sell it to you nah not at all honestly it was <laughs> it, the, the first part was really informal because we were just tech, like messaging and because of the time difference it had to be that way really because they're 12 hours ahead in the marshall islands mm -hmm. so it was hard to then pinpoint a time where we could actually sit and chat on the phone for long or zoom whatever it might have been yeah, we, yeah. it was hard to tie down a time 
So, um, so it's very informal at first. And then I think the first real connection came from an article that I came across when I was, after I spoke to him, um, at first it was an article from the, uh, the athletic and it was 2020, I believe when the, the FA had just formed and it was just all around the last nation on earth to be mm -hmm. without a football team. So we've started talking about that and how, why, what are they doing about it? And then that's what spiraled it on. So I was then asked to, to come up with a, uh, like a short, long, a short, medium, long-term plan of how I could help and how I could connect it to my own style and philosophy. Mm -hmm. And then the next thing I was offered the role as the technical director. Wow. That's, <laughs> so So, how would you describe your philosophy? What was your, the first kind of ideas that you wanted to kind of build into this plan? For me, the good thing about it actually as well, it connects to what the um, board wanted to do from MISF, like the Martial Arts, Martial Arts and Soccer Federation. And that was to work from children upwards mm -hmm. and it was quite clear early on that the children are the ones that are driving this project they're, they want okay. to play um you know they're the ones that are telling parents they're telling teachers they want to play the game mm -hmm. but there's so little awareness and opportunity for them to do it especially in like a structured environment that it just doesn't really happen and and it does happen but not on a regular or okay like I said, structured basis yeah yeah so that was the main thing for me so the first part was and in is is to to develop it in schools so i've created a school curriculum that's going to be rolled out across the country schools and pe teachers will deliver that um but it's a case of training those those, those teachers so it and it's almost a case of that they know how to do it, but mm -hmm. why they're doing it as well. Okay. Uh, and the the re and, and then obviously it starts to build in from there into youth structures. So open access sessions, but also excellence pathways and talent develop talent development, talent ID programs, which then ultimately link into working from the top down with a national team as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's such a massive like US influence on the the nation itself that because the game's naturally growing in the States, it's then also naturally growing in the Marshall Islands. Okay. So, so it's now, now is a great time to be on the back of like the growth across the world, but also the growth in that, that, that region as well. So are you having to compete with the likes of basketball, baseball, American football? Are they like the kind of still the major sports over there? Um, yeah. Same again. Not, there are structures to it mm -hmm. where, compared to not being structures to it for football or soccer. But um, baseball and basketball are the main ones because you don't need a lot of space to play. You don't, okay. need, a lot, you don't need a lot of players to play. Mm -hmm. And that's the main exposure that they've got to sport in terms of, apart from like individual sports where there is a lot of, you know, Olympic representation, for example, for mm -hmm. the country. Whereas football, yes, you can play at 1v1, 2v2. But in terms of if you play full scale, 11v11, 11 you, you need a pitch. You need space. Yeah, you need space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it, it's a little bit harder to do that. But there are ways around it. There are places to play. There are parks mm -hmm. to play. There are indoor venues that are currently available and also nearly completed. There's a national stadium that's nearly completed, which nice. is going to be a huge base for us. Mm-hmm. And again, with the US influence, like to kind of go back to American Samoa a bit, because I feel like, it, as you said, it's kind of similar case in that documentary, they get a bit of support from 
the US Federation. They get coaches from the US Federation, yeah. like the Dutch guy who comes in and manages, right? Yeah, um, wrong. Yeah, exactly. A bit of a madman, right? But um, <laughs> is that something that you could also look at? Could you turn to the US for help or is it something that you're kind of a little bit on your own? Um, we haven't reached out yet, mm-hmm. but it is definitely something that we will look into because there is a partnership um you know, government-wise, mm-hmm. between the two nations, there is a large military base um, on one of the islands, one of the atolls in the Marshall Islands, uh, for the US. Um, there's a free movement of of people mm-hmm. between the two nations. So, yeah, we we, we will we, we will be contacting US soccer at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's just a case of making sure that we have a better profile first of what we are, what we're doing, mm-hmm. why we're doing it, and then we've got a bit more of a backing to then go and pr- approach people. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the same when we approach OFC, for example, for confederation and membership. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, could, we could approach them now, but we want to be in a position where we've got a structure, we've got something that is our identity that we can then say, yeah, this is us. Mm-hmm. Can you help us develop it? Nice. So we talked about the school curriculum as well. It's like one of the first things you've got in there to be like, right, this is where it, it, we start. What are the boxes you need to tick to become part of like OFC and then to become yep. a part of FIFA? Like what are the differences? And are, I imagine the red tape must be ridiculous. <laughs> like how many loops are there to jump through? Uh, yeah, there'll be a, definitely a lot of protocols, and a lot of policies that we have to follow, a lot of things we need in place. I mean, the first step for us will be affiliate membership of OFC. Mm-hmm. So there are full members. So you look at Fiji, Samoa, Cook yeah. Islands, uh, New Zealand, for example, you know, all those nations and obviously others, New Caledonia and stuff like this, mm-hmm. they're all full members. But you also have affiliate members where um, Tuvalu, um, okay. Kiribati, mm-hmm. they are they they have access to pots of funding from OFC but they and support, but they don't get the full membership. They're not part of that wider provision. They have lesser funding, they have lesser support, but they also don't represent in terms of like the, the mainstream OFC okay. um, games as well. Mm-hmm. But that's where we want to be because at the moment we don't have any of that. We don't have membership for anything. So we are solely relying on fundraising and sponsorship. So okay. in terms of growing a game, if you if you have to try and grow a game without equipment, yeah. with no fun with no funding, it's quite difficult. Mm-hmm. So that's our first step, and that will be easier to achieve than full membership. Um, but same again, we won't be contacting OFC just yet. We are wanting to get everything in place first, so that we do have something that can almost run without the support if we need it to, until the support does come in at some point. But if we sit around and wait for membership of any sort you know we could end up waiting for a long time and nothing would ever happen so we want to be developing it first and then say well it's still running can you just help us grow it a little bit more mm. and we've had some in, I've, I've had some informal discussions with some different uh people at ofc okay uh, um i've got some connections now that i didn't have before so that's great but it's a case of yeah making sure we've got the right offer first to go mm. to them rather than waiting for them to sort of come to us as well Nice. So are the countries like Tuvalu and I think it's Kiribati you mentioned, right? Are they, are you kind of trying to follow their, their model? Are there any countries um, you're taking inspiration from or? There's who, similarities. Definitely. Yeah, there are similarities. I mean, like Tuvalu, for example, they mm-hmm. um, have different islands, different bases similar to us. And 
they run a football league which is similar to like a Gibraltar style in Europe for example where they all the teams play out of one national stadium so all league mm -hmm. games are in one venue which likelihood is that that would be the case for us because the national stadium is going to be on the main capital island Maduro that mm -hmm. would be, the, be like the main base and the main hub for it which makes a lot more sense um so th those sort of influences are massive um but there's also then taking the the Marshallese culture and okay. their approach to it so they're very community-based they're very um proud people they're very mm -hmm. this is who we are we stick together feel to the to, to like the principles so applying that into a playing philosophy for the national teams play put that into like a collective approach of how we structure anything is going to be massive so i would say that there are there are things we take from neighboring countries because it's you know it's regional in terms of mm -hmm. similarities it's almost making it making sure that it's a national identity that's the first main point nice i like that yeah you trying to you've got to have your own identity right that's the whole idea of it is you're forming yeah, your yeah. national team it has to be exactly, yours yeah, right yeah, yeah. um but you're going to, I suppose as it goes on, you're going to see like rivalries grow between the islands. Are there any islands that already you think that's going to be a derby? That's going to be the one that matters more than any others? Um, I think, you know, the early impressions are that there aren't really any specific rivalries. But I know exactly what you mean, because like people like Tuvalu, for example, they might not be full FIFA members, they might not be full mm -hmm. OFC members, but they are in a position where we want to be. They're, you yeah. know, they're OFC members of some sort, they're affiliate members, we aren't. So that's realistically got to be your first point, hasn't it? Where <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're, in, yeah. they're in a place we want to be, so we have to go out and show a point. And they are very strong. You know, They've played FIFA na Nations in friendlies mm -hmm. and they're competitive, they are, they are good. So um, yeah, for us, I, I think that's got to be the main one. But then, if you look at other other nations, you've got this, you know, Samoa, you've got Fiji, um, Kiribati again. You know, mm -hmm. those 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 neighbouring countries have to be the the first one. I think. Nice, I like it. I, I like it. So we've talked about like kind of go to the national team a little bit and how that works because, as you said, it's based over several islands and there isn't much space for like a football pitch, right? How? In terms of like gathering a national team, how do the different islands provide logical like issues, and how do you solve them? Like, how do you have to do trials on each island? Is it open trials where people come to one place? Yeah, like, I how mean, does it work? At the moment, we we're in early stages in terms of national teams. So mm -hmm. you know, I've been writing like a playing identity and a, a principles of how we play and linking it to cultures and principles of the nation. So that's fine. But then in terms of recruitment eligibility just actually developing a team yeah that's we haven't really worked out a strategy for it yet purely because mm -hmm. we, we want to focus on the schools and the youth and stuff like this but the loose uh conversations we have had so far are that yeah that would be the main situation like you said about tr trials and open events because the more opportunities we put on for people to play the more we're going to discover discover people yeah. that are talented so um if we create a league structure then there's more teams, there's more players, there's more opportunity to see people play. But in terms of the smaller islands, the smaller atolls, you know, there will be players at some point that we've just got to make sure we find a way to do it. So whether that's a case of um, a smaller feel to the game, smaller base numbers, 3v3, 4v4, 6v6, whatever it might be. Um, but we can still, you can still work out if a player is good enough from, you know, those technical elements and those, any form of football. So we can pick mm -hmm. out people from that. But there are, 
there is football at the moment. It plays. Um, there's football that plays on Kwajalein, which is another one of the islands at the moment, one of the atolls, um, and that's the where the base is, the US military base. Um, so there are teams that play there. It's mm-hmm. just a little bit more informal. It's not as as structured as what we're aiming it to be. Um, but yeah, people play. Uh, so it's a case of you know finding those 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 talented players and just bringing them together. So whether that is a case of same again, like talent ID, talent development programs that we'll do with youth players. We'll have to do that with senior players as well. Mm-hmm. And in longer term, um, like we said, there's a massive base and connection to the US. So there are you know, 60,000 Marshallese citizens in the country, but wow. there are 30,000 in, um, sorry, sorry, in the Marshall Islands, but there are 30,000 just in one state in the US. So <laughs> right, like, okay. you know, like Arkansas has yeah 30,000 uh, Marshallese citizens in there. So out of 30,000, you'd like to think there'd be 5, 10, 15, 20 yeah. people to play football. So it might be more. So, you, yeah, you'd like to open that up, up as an idea. So eventually that could be that we have a hub there and we pull players across from there. But that's longer term. Now, so, yeah, so like naturalising players, like obviously that is further down the road. But I'm not even sure how you do that process. Are you just looking for people that have the passport, looking for like, and I don't get how how they discover players like that. You're just looking for, for populations of the Yeah. I mean, it'll be very scout based, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, initially and very short and medium terms, we'll be looking at the players on the Marshall Islands on shore. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when, when I was talking to the guys from Samoa, for example, that's what they've done. They've, I think in the yeah. last year alone in 2022, they created 80 something passports for players across the world <laughs> that are feed, uh, are Samoan, but, never really thought they had the opportunity to represent their national team because they're spaced anywhere in the world. Mm-hmm. But it was a case of a, a, a talent pool, a scouting pool, a scouting network that fi- found these players. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, we would have to have a similar approach to that at some point if we were to look at like the US, for example. We would have to have US-based scouts and recruiters that go out and watch players that are eligible. Um but also things like social media will be massive for that. And social media has been huge for us already. You know, we've connected to 50 plus countries already where people wanted to reach out to help us. And some of those people are uh, Marshallese like descendants nice. in the States that, that play like college and high school football at the moment. Mm-hmm. So five, five years from now, they, they could be future national team players. You, you just don't know. That is pretty exciting. That is pretty exciting. Um, it's, so, um, also with the with the growth of the men's game, I imagine there's going to be a kind of simultaneous thing of the growth of the women's game, right? Trying to get women into football as well. There is that under your like remit as well. Is that something that you're trying to do simultaneously? Uh, yeah, we we definitely have plans to to develop the female game as well. Initially, it will be the male game and the only reason mm-hmm. is is because that's what's currently playing so we know mm-hmm. that there are pockets and communities that play and we know that there are females that want to play it's just a case now of getting a structure and then we'll start to f- focus on that as well but yeah that's a, that's a route that we want to look down as well and especially if we start to then build it into schools and youth we're opening those opportunities for girls to grow up and play the game and it'll just become second nature that that's um and other sport that they have access to, like they rightly, you know, rightly should be across the world and it is developing across the world. And that's where we want to be part of as well. We want to grow that female game too. 
Nice. And in the future, you do have planned, you're going to be hosting the Micronesian Games, right? So yep. this is part of the National Stadium being built, which is, I think it's a 2,000-seater stadium, right? That's going to be, yep. going to be yep. built on the main island. Um, does it help to have that deadline of like, right, we need to be ready by that point? Or is it quite scary to have that deadline? Um, so the fantastic thing about it is that we are going to host the Micronesian Games this year. The unfortunate thing about it is that there is no football on this year's program. Oh. So uh, it works well in and, and against us, I guess, because the good thing about it is that we don't have to rush to be ready for something. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's still a good opportunity to connect with these different nations that do have football programs, some of which are like FIFA nations. So Guam, for example, um, where we can, you know, we can ask questions. We can, we can hopefully draw some more support from that, but in longer term, hopefully be part of these Micronesian games when it does have football back on the program. But like this year, for example, it's um, athletics, basketball, mm. uh, volleyball, um, We've got things like you know, the obvious, like swimming, but then things like weightlifting, wrestling, are massive in the Marsh Islands and also the, the region. So they're, they're on the program as well. But unfortunately, no football this year. Ah, maybe next time. Maybe, <laughs> maybe next, next time. time. Maybe By next, next time. time, there will be, I'm sure. Nice. Um, so also, um, you kind of touched on the league system a little bit and said there is yep. a bit of a, a, well, there's a league that goes on there. I just saw, now this is from Wikipedia, so I'm not sure how reliable <laughs> it is, but it did say that the football season has just finished there. Um, this must be part of your plan as well to get that structured league in. How many teams do you think the island could sustain and what is the end goal for the league structure? Early discussions have been that we'd have like eight to ten teams mm -hmm. um, that would play out the national stadium. But then we've also had other ideas where if that's the case that they're playing on Maduro and there are teams that are already playing on Kwajalein, do we then have like regional um, championships almost that then the winners play against each other as like the, the title decider nice. at the end of the season? So there are a couple of different routes that we could go down. Um, they would be the predominant two islands atolls that that would host games because mm -hmm. obviously Kwajalein already does, Majuro will. Um, but yeah, there's a couple of different routes that we can go down. It's just a case of working out which one would be probably a little bit more suitable logistically, but also mm -hmm. um, in reality as well. Yeah. Nice. It's like, kind of like the uh, AFC East, a AFC West kind of yeah, Super Bowl type yeah. thing, right? Almost. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's that it's that case, isn't it? We could almost have it because I think it's a. Uh, for 45 minutes between the two flight time. So you're talking a couple of hours on a boat. So wow. to get players to go across to play league games would be difficult and probably not fair on a regular basis. <laughs> and yeah, it, wouldn't yeah. be, it wouldn't be possible legit, like financially, really. So uh, if we were to host it all on Maduro, brilliant. But if we were always to host it at two separate ones and there's only one time of the season where they play across a, you know, the one game sort of title decider, then that's more doable. Nice. And then I, weirdly, I applied for a job in the Marshall Islands a long time ago as an English teacher. So I'm an English teacher and I applied out there. Unfortunately, okay. never heard back. Like in another <laughs> life, I'm out there now. But I realized in the research for that job that it is very logistically difficult to get to and back from. Yeah. So yeah. you have you been there yourself yet? Are you planning to go over? How do you do this job remotely? Um. So I've only been in post since just before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And in terms of actual like work that I've submitted, like the school curriculum, for example, and the social media driving connections and 
you know, media and stuff like this, this mm -hmm. is easy to do remotely. Um, but because it is quite new and quite fresh now, I haven't been out there. But also, like you said, it's I think it's around 30 hours to get there. <laughs> yeah. And there's, there's only two realistic routes that you can get to from here, from, from the UK. So one is via Hawaii. So you get to Hawaii and then across. The other option is to go to Australia and Brisbane and then then across so either way it's about the same distance so long. Uh, it's a long time and it's also very expensive i mean you're looking at mm -hmm. about two thousand pounds just for flights wow. so without funding a membership to ofc or fifa that becomes even harder so same mm -hmm. again it comes down to fundraising and sponsorship and i'll and i'll go out at some point this year um we've penciled in like july for example which like around you know games wise but mm -hmm. also uh, I'd like to go out sooner because we have a need to upskill people. You know, with the PE teachers obviously being trained, but also we have locals that want to be coaches. Mm -hmm. So informal coach education is going to be massive. So to be part of that process based on, like, if it's my structures that are going to be the main basis or a big heavily influenced basis of this, I'd like to be the one that's on the ground delivering that to the people, mm -hmm. to the locals. So, um, yeah, I'd like to get out sooner than July, but it will realistically come down to what funding is available and sponsorships available in place by those points. Nice. So there are currently people out there who are trying to kind of, like, I suppose the, the Federation themselves are trying to instill what you're telling them and you've got some, yeah. they had some coaches out there that can start the process, right? Yeah. So um, like the board members, for example, they would be the guys that are driving it and uh the FA president himself is 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 a football fan. He's uh, played like college level um, in in the states, or and actually I'll, I'll tell a lie. I believe it was the British Virgin Islands, but still like a good structure to it. Mm -hmm. um, then you've also got members of the board who are from the Solomon Islands, and same again, massive football fans. So those guys would then help to drive it initially and, and help to train the teachers on the ground based on work that we've con like sort of cooperatively done. Um, but to be a person, like, to be able to go out there in person and help deliver that would be fantastic. I can I can only imagine what it's like out there. I was looking at the, the pictures. It looks genuinely beautiful. It looks <laughs> yeah. like kind of one of those Very like postcard, postcard kind of resort kind of thing. It looks incredible. Very um, interesting. So when you get out there and you finally got your kind of feet on the ground out there and you've got your first game, what do you expect? How do you think it will feel? And do you have any clue of who your first opponent could be? Uh, no, unfortunately not at this stage. I think you know, we've, we've randomly had like messages from people all across the world. Like we've had Sunday league teams from the UK saying, no, oh, I can we'll, imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll, you know, like we'll go down in history. We'll play your first game. And, and it's like, yeah. what? And then we've had, but we've had all sorts of people contact us from all over the world saying they want to be part of the first games. And mm -hmm. we've had kit collectors saying they want to buy the first kits. Um, we've had kits, uh, suppliers and manufacturers saying they want to provide those first kits. You know, it's been unbelievable. We've had people that want to be the, the national team head coaches, analysts, recruitment, honestly, all sorts. Like, it's unbelievable and, and really quite humbling in terms mm -hmm. of the, the response that we've had in such a short time because the um, it's only what are we? I think it's day 10 today since social media went live. Wow. Right. And in 10 days, we've got up to about 1,500 followers on Twitter, nearly £600 in donations, mm -hmm. uh, people reaching out want to be kit suppliers, like donating kit and equipment. Um, 
it's it obviously media that's been fantastic across the world like it's, it's unbelievable the, pre, like the, the the opportunities we've had so far to network and raise awareness to to the game but also the country as well nice well you'll have to message me when those kits come out because i do want to add <laughs> i do want to add one to the collection it could be hanging back here somewhere definitely yeah, for a few keep, episodes. Keep posted on social media because um yeah over time <laughs> there will be more developments beautiful and you kind of talk there about kind of people getting in touch are you trying to like build a team of people around you like in terms of like you you talked about scouts and when the game comes are you going to be the manager are you looking for a manager like are you starting to try and look at a team you can build um i personally i think especially me medium long term we will have head coaches in place and the coaching okay. staff in the short term I guess it will come down to logistics because like we just said, getting there and financially and logistically is difficult. So if we need to get five, six people out, that is diff more difficult than getting one or two people out. Yes. So it might be that in the short term, I double up and I do both roles like mm -hmm. a technical director and head coach, but also yeah, longer term, medium, medium term, I would prefer to just be the technical director in that position mm -hmm. and rather have head coaches that are in place and, have those specific different roles because I think you need that difference, but completely understandable in log like logistically that it might not be achievable in the short term just because of the finances and of like, available. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of like you know, we, we want to make it as professional as we can. We want those backroom staff, we want analysts, we want you know the medical staff, we want the the opposition scouts. You know, we want that basis. We want that proper environment nice nice so please just tell us where if for our listeners if they want to donate to the gofundme if they want to support the campaign where can they find you where can they uh kind of slip a, a bit of money your way <laughs> yeah we do have a gofundme page uh the links are available on all those social media platforms so mm -hmm. social media on twitter uh is at soccer fed mi um on instagram it is at lower which is l o w a underscore soccer and the reason for that is uh, in like marshallese polynesian history and uh, mythology lower is like the god who created all these different things so he created the sea he created nice. grass he created the sky so in our theory it was we created soccer I so uh, he brought it to the islands uh, and then on facebook is um and linkedin as well marshall island soccer federation and the GoFundMe page is on, on, on there as well. So people can fortunately and massively appreciated that they can donate. Beautiful. We'll put the GoFundMe page in the link in the description below Fantastic. this video as well. So they Appreciate can find that. it nice and easily. Um, Lloyd, I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. We are going to have you on again in the future so you can give us an update on how it's going. Yeah, um, please do. But thanks again for coming on. And viewers, listeners, don't forget, hit the like and subscribe button. And we will see you next time. Fantastic. Cheers, Thank man. you for your time. Sports Social Podcast Network.